You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. All right, might as well just set everything down, put your feet up, and get ready because it's going to be a juggernaut offensive night. Cooper Rush versus Daniel Jones. I know you can art that sarcasm. It's sarcasm. It's Spade and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spade, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance, and hammer the under, y'all, because we have seen nothing but unders. I'm predicting a 2 nothing game. That's what the football gods are going to give us. They're going to cap off the week with only the ugliest week we could ever imagine. Let's get to it. It's time for the Monday Night Football Preview brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Let's get all the thoughts on the Giants from our buddy ESPN Giants reporter Jordan Ronan joining us now. Uh, Jordan, give me some assessment of where the Giants are, not from their record, because obviously the record very good. Is this a good right. football team? Uh, that's a tough question. They are not a great football team, but they're an undefeated football team. And they're right now, as we sit here in the moment, there are three undefeated teams, right? The Eagles, the Dolphins, and the Giants, and the Giants have Again, winnable game tonight against the Cowboys and next week at home against the Bears. So uh, there's an opportunity for them to win a lot of games. This is a team that, let's be fair, Joe Shane, the new general manager, Brian Dable, the head coach, like they were setting expectations that this was a rebuilding year. But if they can win in the meantime, I'm sure it's not something they're, uh, they're against because it's helping them build their culture. It's a lot easier for a coach and general manager. So here's what we need to do from – uh, you know, Monday to, to Saturday each week. And then when it's actually correlating to victories, then the players naturally are going to say, hey, you know, what they're selling is working. We need to continue doing this. So I think this uh, new regime is off to a very good start. That's the uh, that's the two and one Chicago Bears. Mm. Just wanted to remind you that. Uh, which actually somebody me- the Giants or Bears, somebody, <laughs> regardless of what happens tonight, right? One of those two teams is going to be three and one. Yeah, and nobody predicted that at the beginning. One hundred percent. Think so about that for a second. That's somebody what I wanted to ask you about, though, be. because both of those teams were among the just couple that people had in the lowest tier. This team has no talent. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to exactly. do anything. What have you actually seen through the first two weeks? that has made the Giants win ball games. Well, we've seen a defense that has played really well. When you look at the Giants, sure, Saquon's the headliner. He's played, you know, great. He looks way more like he did his rookie year uh, than he has the past couple of years. But they've allowed 36 points in two games. You know, when you allow 18 points a game in the NFL, it gives you an opportunity to win. And they've done that without their top two edge rushers, Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojolari, both who will be back tonight. So, you know, th- that's really what you look at. And Week Martindale deserves all the credit in the world. The new Giants defensive coordinator came over where he, uh, you know, for multiple years had top units in Baltimore. And the system he's drawing up has been working. So that is encouraging. When you look at uh, Saquon, that's obviously, you know, he is their best player on offense and has been by a wide margin. Uh, and really, Brian Dayball and offensive coordinator Mike Kafka. The first half, they scored six points in the first half in the first two games. But they've gone in both times at halftime and, you know, come up with ideas and plans for them to be successful offensively in the second half. So the new coaching staff, the new regime, it's giving you hope that, hey, they're making the proper and necessary adjustments that help them win games. And I think coaching deserves a ton of credit for the Giants being 2-0 right now. Jordan, you mentioned Kayvon Thibodeau going to make his uh, debut tonight. He fell all the way to five. I only say fell all the way to five because in the college football world, we spent a year hyping him up as the first overall pick. See how that went. Yeah. What do you? What have you seen from him in camp? What do you expect from him? 
he looked really good uh, throughout camp. I mean, I, I see a guy who's going to be a quality player even in his rookie year now. It's a little dicey because he's coming back from a sprained MCL, uh, so we don't know exactly where he's at. But I think the way the Giants handled this was, you know, it's supposed to be a three- to four-week injury. Last week was week four. So this is, this is like, all right, he, get, he went through the four weeks that he needed to get back, and then he got in a full week of practice. They were very cautious with him. So I think we're gonna, we should be able to see what we saw earlier in the summer, and that was a guy who was consistently disruptive as a pass rusher throughout training camp because that first step is, is impressive. And it has – it looked like, at least in training camp, we'll see how it you know, correlates to the regular season and real games against real competition. But it looked like that is, gonna, is something that's going to translate to the NFL. And really, if you think about it, that's what we heard about, right? That's why you heard about him being the number one overall pick. It's not because he's super powerful or big guy or, you know, just a – a physical freak like uh, Miles Garrett. No, it's because that first step and his ability to get off the ball, and it really did show this summer. Jordan Renan is with us. You can follow him at Jordan Renan here on Spain and Fitz, our ESPN Giants reporter. Uh, quickly, how much do you think the team's win-loss record will have an effect on their decision-making around their quarterback, or is it going to entirely be about Daniel Jones' play? I think it's entirely around Daniel Jones' play. You've seen so far if this new regime. They have carte blanche, right? Kenny Galladay is making $8 million, $18 million this year, and he's not playing, right? He's played two snaps last week. Kadarius Tony was a first-round pick the year before. He, played, he barely played. He played seven snaps in the opener. So you see that this new regime, you know, they're going to play the players that they, they want, and they're not going to take into account that this guy was the sixth pick in regards to Daniel Jones or that they invested him already. No, I, in my opinion, and from talking to people in the building, he's going to have to play at a really high level for them to want to invest in him moving forward. And by that, I mean, look, he can't just be an average quarterback. Remember, Tyrod Taylor was the quarterback in Buffalo the first year that Sean McDermott took over. They made the playoffs, but what did they do? They went out and drafted Josh Allen, and then look where that team is now. I don't know if Daniel Jones is any good, but I know that Jordan's the best. Follow him on Twitter, (laughs) at Jordan Ronan. We appreciate your time as always. Enjoy the game tonight, my friend. I appreciate it. I, well, that was a professional segue right there. Thank I'm you impressed. very much. Thank you. Every <laughs> once in a while, I show off. <laughs> now let's take a look at the other side of this game, and we do that with our buddy Clarence Hill Jr. You can read him on the Fort Worth Star-Telegram where he covers the Cowboys. Clarence, always appreciate your time. Uh, give me an assessment right now of what expectations should be in Dallas given the fact that there is no Dak. <laughs> well, it's based on Dallas, but also based on who they, they play. Right? I mean, you know, who, who's good? You know, and, and one thing we know, the Cowboys' defense is good. Michael Parsons is the best player on the team, maybe the best defensive player in the league. Certainly for the first two weeks, he's the, the, the favorite for defensive player of the year. And right now they're going to ride that defense and hope they can hold on with Cooper Rush, a quarterback, in place of Dak Prescott. When Dak Prescott comes back, uh, possibly the Rams game October 9th, but most certainly they believe he'll be ready for the Eagles game on October 16th, a showdown against the Eagles, who are playing as well as anybody in football. Clarence, you mentioned Cooper Rush. How much does that change their game planning? How much does that uh, minimize the, the play calling um, because of the limitations of Cooper versus when you got Dak in there? Well, you know, Cooper can run the entire offense, but his arm is not the same. He's not going to run, you know, throw, make the same throws, but he knows the offense. You know, he can certainly play with anticipation. They're not necessarily limited by Cooper, but, but you know, they have a young offensive line. They have a young receiver core. Those are other things that, that factor in on things that are limited 
and what they're able to do in the plays there. But the Cardinals, remember last year, Cooper passed for 300 yards and led them to a comeback victory against the Minnesota Vikings on the road. But he had Amari Cooper. He had CeeDee Lamb. He had a full complement of all the Cowboys' weapons. You know, you go into this game with CeeDee Lamb and, and really Noah Brown, who's been a, a uh, practice squad uh, special teams guy. He's actually the personal punt protector, you know, for much of his career as their leading receiver with CeeDee Lamb. Uh, the number two receiver is certainly not getting the ball that everybody expected when he was elevated to number one following the departure, you know, of Amari Cooper. And then you have all this line starting, you know, guys on the left side of the line. So that's what's complicating the, the play calling more so than necessarily Cooper Rush. They're going to try to lean on the run, you know, lean on Zeke, lean on Tony Pollard. Uh, and it's obviously with a backup quarterback like this, you're going to, you know, it's going to be a low scoring game, but, you know, hopefully, you know, they cut down penalties and, and limit turnovers, they will be in it at the end for a chance to win. In theory, Clarence, their defense has got to always play well. That that We know that, the way they're structured. You mentioned Parsons and his greatness. Who else in your mind needs to step up tonight defensively? Well, if you're going to stop the run, this is, you know, you know the New York Giants and, and, and Saquon Barkley, and, and that's their entire offense right now. You know, they have it like 29th or 31st ranked passing attack. You know, they're not trying to do anything with Daniel Jones. Everything they do on offense is with Saquon Barkley. So, you know, the big boys up front, you know, Quentin Bohanna, the defensive line, linebackers, Leighton Vanderesh, you know, those guys have to have their big boy pants on and stop their running. You slow down that running game, then Michael Parsons and the pass rush can get after the quarterback. Yeah, Cowboys are kind of in the middle when it comes to stopping the run so far. So we'll see how they do tonight against the Giants. Uh, You talked about Micah Parsons. How good can he be? I mean, it feels like sometimes we get lost in the moment, um, and sometimes that that first look at a guy's first year or two um, kind of fades. Is is this someone that you expect to get even better? And and is it fair for people to compare him to a guy like LT already? Hey, we're in New York. You know, have a great play. Let's talk about basketball. They have a great moment in Gotham City, right? <laughs> you know, Michael Parsons already tweeted this is going to be a flu game. You know, he missed a couple of days in practice with cold and allergy symptoms. He tweeted out to Michael. I mean, the, uh, the Michael Jordan flu game meme on Twitter. So, you know, he's embracing it. But, yeah, LT, this, you know, who else can you compare him to? I mean, based on what he's done, and, you know, there's really a good chance that the Cowboys really knew how good he was at the beginning of the season. They kind of fell into him being a pass rusher only after they had, they had some injuries because they were just going to play him primarily at linebacker. You know, ain't no telling how many sacks he would have got if he'd have started the season, you know, what they know now if they knew that then. And he may have surpassed you know, the rookie uh, sack record and really would have won defensive player year as a rookie, become the first player to do so since LT. But, you know, he's just picked up where he left off. You know, everybody's worried about the offseason and where he's going to start reading his press clippings. And, you know, get you know he was all over the place. And he was the face of the town, face of the country in the offseason, making appearances everywhere. But it has not slowed him as far as continuing what he did last year as a football player. He is the truth. He, you know, he listens to all these coaches. Michael Parsons is a problem with opposing offenses and opposing quarterbacks. Going to be one of the most exciting things to watch tonight. Clarence, as always, we appreciate your time. Follow him on Twitter, at Clarence Hill Jr. Read him on the Fort Worth Star Telegram uh, covering the Cowboys. We appreciate your time. Enjoy the game, my friend. Thank you, guys, man. Appreciate it. Protect the stuff you love with renter's insurance. Visit Progressive.com. As always, Monday Night Football means we got to get you caught up on what's going on. Plus, Aaron Judge, I don't know, a little bit of action going on. And two quarterbacks that are superstars played yesterday. Should they have? Should injury have prevented it? We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. 
Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. It's ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Spain and Fitz and ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Rough Monday for Fitz yet again. His Raiders are 0-3, the only team in the NFL without a win. <gasps> That's like funny somehow though, right? You know, it's tortoise in the hair. Remember, <laughs> like I remember the, the Looney Tunes version of that where Bugs Bunny was just like out there getting all cocky. That's the rest of the league. The rest okay. of the league's out there, Bugs Bunny in it. I'm just back here sitting on my tortoise. <laughs> Go ahead and clip that off if you could. Thanks. Um, let's not talk- getting salmonella, by the way. Uh, turtles have a real salmonella issue with dogs, so you know don't don't commingle your turtles and your dogs. I looked; I was going to get a pet turtle once. It's facts you didn't know you needed, Sarah. We good? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, good. Um, let's talk about. Some other people that aren't that good right now, Uh, namely a couple quarterbacks that are dealing with injuries. Tremendous transition. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa, I thought he was gone for that game. And I was extremely surprised to see him come back. Apparently so is the NFLPA because they are getting a review of the concussion protocols after he came back in the game. And the way he talked about leaving late in that first half only made me a little more suspicious. On the quarterback sneak, uh, kind of got, kind of got my legs caught under someone, and then they were trying to push, push back, and then kind of felt like I hyperextended my back or something. Um, and then on the next play, um, I kind of hit, hit my back and kind of, you know, kind of hurt. And then I got up, and then that's kind of like why I stumbled. My back kind of locked up on me. Um, but for the most part, you know. Um, I'm good past whatever concussion protocol uh, they had, so I'm good. Hmm. Are you buying all that? No, no, like that all just feels gross. Like, like we got ankle, we got back, we got concussion, and then we went with the one that sounded, uh, I guess, the most convincing as to why he could come back. And the NFLPA, you know, wants an investigation into this concussion examination. I understand why. Also, I, I do think past performance has to be a little bit of a concern here. Not a concern, but at least in the back of your mind. And like, Sarah, you've talked about some of your battles with injuries in the past, right? So when you're an athlete and you have some nicks and bruises and cuts along the way, maybe everybody has to have a little bit of a like a mindset of, okay, are we putting the player in the best position? Like at some point, you got to save the player from themselves. And uh, for all of that conversation, if you look at it, like he looked dazed and confused coming mm-hmm. back in. It's not a good look for the league. It's not a good look for two. It's not a good look for the Dolphins. Yeah, it didn't look like he was re- reacting to a back injury. And right. that's that's the real key here. I I get that you're not going to bubble wrap a kid who's gotten injured before because that's just not going to make sense for his career. But when it's specific to this kind of potential concussion and when it looks clear to everybody watching at home, you're always going to have trouble convincing people that that wasn't what was going down. Um, the other story, of course, was Justin Herbert. And not just that the Jags somehow beat down the Chargers – but that he was in the game, not just at the start, but at the end when it was completely out of reach. Here's what Brandon Staley had to say about it. I understand your entire line of questioning. I understand it. Um, Justin's going to be feeling like this when he's out there playing. This injury is going to be there for a while. Um, if you guys know the injury, it's, it's not like it's going to feel better next week or the week after that. This thing is going to be present for a while. He felt good today, and um, we're going to continue to manage it the best we can. Bart Scott. Not feeling that. Here's what he said on Barton Hahn. You got to protect the kid from himself. You should say, hey, young fella, come sit down. There's nothing good that can happen. We're down 28 points. Even if you score a touchdown and finish with your guys, what if somebody come hit you in the back of those cartilages 
and then we break or do more damage, then, then what? Like, I mean, who's in control here? Okay, so I don't really agree with the back of those cartilages, but I agree with his point. I was fine with Herbert starting the game. When it was out of reach, they should have pulled him. Yeah, there is absolutely no. How many games is Brandon Staley going to lose his football team? Last year, it was his Ooh. aggressiveness when it comes to the way that he calls these games that kept the Chargers out of the playoffs. Now you have an injury-riddled Chargers team, and you're out there with one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL with an injury that they required an ultrasound to give him the proper ejection to figure out how to numb him. And you're saying, well, he feels fine. Of course, you numbed him. He should feel fine. You have to step in as the coach and say, sorry, guy, this one's out of reach. Explain it to your locker room. Control your locker room and protect your young quarterback. That's a stupid move. Oh, perfect transition to our next segment. Good take, odd take. <laughs> uh, when, how many games is Brandon Staley going to lose for his team? Uh, it's a it's a worthwhile conversation. There's also just a conversation about what the Chargers franchise did to I don't know some sort of god or totem or icon that has resulted in them being cursed in this way because it just never ends uh i mentioned it good take hot take coming up next all the takes about sunday's football coming up next on spain and fitz spain and fitz the podcast spain and fitz on espn radio the espn app series xm channel 80 espn radio presented by progressive insurance sarah spain jason fitz it is monday and that means that everybody is all up in their fields and has all the emotion about everything that happened Sunday, which means everybody's out there wheeling out their takes, trying to do their best Stephen A. So it is time for us to decide which of them are good and which of them are hot garbage. Boom! Hot take! Hot take! It's time to rate the takes of the day. Are they good takes? The season is over! <laughs> I mean, one game in! Or hot takes... This is why I called out and said Kirk Cousins is going to be the MVP. It's Good Take, Hot Take on Spain and Fitz. All right, you know the drill. We'll play you some of the best of the best of the worst of the worst, and then we'll decide what sucks and what doesn't. That's simple. All right, are we ready for this yep. one? Sarah, let's start with one Keyshawn Johnson. You can hear him on a show with Jay Will and Max every morning. I've never heard of him, but I hear he's a nice guy. Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max. This is what he had to say this morning about Derek Carr. When you start to lose games, the first thing people do is they point and look at the quarterback situation. Mm-hmm. And they say to themselves, well, they're losing because of the quarterback. The Raiders aren't losing because of Derek Carr. Perfect strike to Waller over the middle on a stop route. Goes right through his hands yeah. for the interception. That's not on Derek Carr. It's not on Derek Carr. You know, it's just, but he may be in one of those situations in his career where it's time to start to think about maybe a change of scenery for whatever reason will help his career out if he gets to the right place in the right system with the right team because that Raider mystique that hovers over that organization, he's a part of. And it makes it seem like he's not a good quarterback, and that's not true at all. Uh, Sarah, it's a good take that it's not on Derek Carr, uh, in my mind, what that particular play, this particular game, not on Derek, ta- in Derek Carr. That's a good take. It feels like a hot take that it changed the scenery, like – and. Look, I don't think a change in scenery would be the worst. I keep going back to the jerk sitting next to me that was MFing Derek Carr as loud as he could in front of his son. Uh, as, as he was doing that, and he kept saying, you can't win a Super Bowl with a quarterback that's not great. I was like, I don't know. You ever heard of Nick Foles or right. Brad Johnson or Joe Flacco? Like, you certainly can. The hard part here is that I don't think Devontae Adams, who made it clear that part of why he left Green Bay was because Aaron Rodgers couldn't assure him he wanted to play three or four more years there. So Devontae goes to Vegas. 
I don't think he does that unless Derek Carr's assured him that they're together. Derek Carr's used to losing, went 0-2 to start his career. I don't think there's a change of scenery unless the Raiders decide they want to change the scenery, and that's a big if. I think it's a good take that it's not his fault. I don't think it's hot to suggest that he might fare better elsewhere. I just don't think it's realistic because of your point. Yeah. Good. And by the way, he's also made it clear he'd rather go into ministry than move, so I don't really know what we're looking for there. Let's go next to Damian Woody, big boy uh, giving us big takes on Barton Hunt. They're the most disappointing team in the league. I thought Josh McDaniels going over there with Derek Carr and company and getting Devontae Adams, that this is going to be some type of high-flying offense, scoring points all over the place, and then they got two legitimate pass rushers on, on that side of the ball. It's just not happening. So they're lucky that that whole division right now is kind of right. is kind of a mess because they're a mess right now. Say it to my face, Woody. Right. You coward. I don't think you actually want that. No, it's a good take. I don't think you want him to say anything to your face. It's a good take. Just keep a good, safe distance. Woody, as I've told many times this story, the first time I ever met him uh, when I was doing Go Look at Wingo, we were just, I was was mesmerized by his hand, and so he held it up, and his hand is larger than my entire head. So Woody could, (laughs) like, he could actually do the horror movie, squeeze my head until I die. So, Mm -hmm. But it's also a good take. It's a good take. Yeah. It's a good take. They're very disappointing. I didn't think they were going to be as good as you did, but I certainly thought they were going to be better than 0-3. Yeah, and uh, you know what? Mark Davis cannot be pleased with Josh McDaniels. Like, he hired Becky Hammond for a reason mm-hmm. with the Aces. Thank God for those Aces. He hired he hired <laughs> Josh McDaniels for the same reason, to win a championship. Uh, Harry Douglas is a champion in my mind. Uh, he was on primetime and had this to say about the Saints. But I'll tell you, if I had to push a panic button for one team in the National Football League, especially based on the expectations that a lot of people have for them, it's going to be the New Orleans Saints. And we got to remember now, they played terrible in three quarters against the Falcons and had an unbelievable fourth quarter and came back and win that game. If they don't win that game, they're 0-3 right now. So I'm worried about them. Alvin Kamara, one of their best players, he he fumbles the football, gets picked up by a defenseman for the Carolina Panthers, and he runs it in for a touchdown. Jameis Winston threw two more interceptions that start starting to be a reoccurring theme that we have week in and week out. Yeah, I mean, that's a good take. It was the Colts. The Colts are not in the clear just yet, but the Colts had a great, huge win. So they are now not my most worried about team. The Saints, Uh, for expectations combined with how poorly they've played, have now taken the top spot for the team that should be panicking most. Here's the thing. I thought the Saints were going to suck. Right. So... It's a, but it is a good take that they should be pressing the panic button. I guess the Raiders too. I just somehow said the Raiders were the most disappointing, but the Saints should panic the most. But I think they're tight. Well, I think the the Raiders actually to to the point of the rest of the division. While they're zero and three, there's still some area to catch up in. The Saints just look bad. Mm. I mean, there, there's this is exactly what I, I feared for New Orleans. Yeah, their defense is good, but I fear that Dennis Allen is not the coach Sean Payton was. I don't think that's a hot take. And Jameis Winston reverts back to Jameis of old he is who when he, he is. doesn't have a mm-hmm. great coach there to help him not be that guy. So I, I, I don't know why we're surprised by it, but it is disappointing because New Orleans is now much like New England learning that when you have a great quarterback and a great coach together at the same time, Life is pretty easy as a football fan. When you lose that, it isn't. Jameis and Dennis Allen, that's going to be a so-so combo that sometimes wins and sometimes loses. So that's I completely agree. And I think this is – there's not going to be that many more chances for Jameis if this season ends up similar to the 30-30 season. He has these high points. It's very Cutler-esque, right? People get 
convinced that they can be the one to harness the good stuff. Um, unfortunately, he, he's a terrible decision maker I love, and injury prone. I love the Cutler comparison because when it's great, it's great. And I've said this a million times, but when Cutler was traded by the Broncos to the Bears, I remember one of the Raiders beat writers at the time wrote an article about why Raiders fans should be really bummed that Cutler was traded. And he went through all the mistakes and you don't think about that because you thought about the good from mm-hmm. Cutler for so many people. A big it's, arm it, gets you every time. Yeah, Jameis, it looks pretty when it's right. And when it's wrong, you just sit there and say, what in the hell mm-hmm. am I looking at? I know what I'm looking at when I look at Rex Ryan. ESPN NFL analyst had this to say on Get Up about who he thinks the best team in the NFL is. Ooh, The Buffalo Bills are clearly the best team. And not only in the in the East, but in the entire league. Look, this team got destroyed in the game everywhere but the uh, scoreboard. Right. And when I look at this, they had 200 yards of total offense. Miami did. Miami yeah. did. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's right. With six starters out on yeah. the uh, Buffalo Bills defense. It's a good take to me. I I, I I am surprised that they lost. I clearly underestimated the impact of those injuries in the secondary. It's something I did mention in advance of that game, particularly because the Bills had been so successful on the deep balls, and you saw those waddled chunk plays that were such a big part of the Dolphins being able to to put up points and get ahead. Um, it, you just you look at a couple different things: all the players cramping. You look at the the injuries to the secondary. Un un. Like unusual things like the Josh Allen fumble, um, some moments from him that he didn't look his best, and you think, I don't think that's the best representation of this Bills team. To me, at least if they get healthy again, they're still the best team. I saw an interesting stat yesterday. The teams that have been outgained by 275 yards or more in a game are 2 and 168. Those two wins are both the Dolphins. One was a couple of years ago, and one was yesterday. Whoa! So when you think about the outlier of that, it's not a small outlier. It's a large one. I think the Bills are great. The only, and, and it's a good take, the only hesitation I have is actually from the Eagles. And yep. I'm watching the Eagles play, and I'm thinking, man, every week we want to find a reason why the Eagles aren't spectacular. And I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm trying to push back a little on the Jalen Hurts MVP hype. Right. But that team offensively and defensively looks so. Let me let me match your uh, stat with a good stat since you brought up the Eagles, and you're right, you're right on with that, them being in this conversation. Jalen Hurts is the only player in NFL history with 300-plus pass yards per game and 50-plus rush yards per game through three games. That's insane. Like, when you – here's the hard – that's an incredible stat. I'm, like, mesmerized. The hardest part for me about Jalen Hurts is that a, yeah. a month ago it was like, well, he's got to prove it, and they gave him all these weapons. Now he's playing incredible. So he is proving it. But he did need to have all these weapons to prove it. So, like, there's this transition. Like, there's, mm-hmm. like, this glow up that you go from being, like, Clark Kent to Superman. And he's somewhere in there. But, like, it, it's hard for me because the the pieces of the whole make such an important part. of Like, it's a Voltron thing. They all got to right. stack together to make one. Kind of like Tom Brady looked human without any weapons. It, it, it is a fair, fair point. Spade and Fitz on ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Your small business keeps you on the go. Progressive Commercial Insurance keeps your policy within reach with our easy-to-use mobile app. Learn more at Progressive Commercial dot com. All right. The first quarter is coming to a close on Monday Night Football. Aaron Judge is about to be up to bat. We have so much to update you on. We will do it next on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. Aaron Judge is at bat, so we're going to take you out to WFAN Yankees Radio Network to hear it right now. Go one inning at a time, evidently. 
And here's the one one. Cut on a missed one and two. And that's a slider. He's been throwing the split and the fastball. They threw him the slider that time. Right, here's the one two from Gossman. And the pitch low. And the count two and two. That was a breaking ball. Slider. <laughs> Here's the two two. And the breaking ball strike three. One away. Overrated. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. WFAN Yankees Radio Network on the call. Uh, that was Aaron Judge's most uh, recent at bat. Just finished live as the Yankees are taking on Toronto at Toronto. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel. Lady Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Also, as we come to a close of the first quarter in Monday Night Football, it is currently three to nothing. So we are obviously very early in a weekend that has been full of nothing but defense and Dallas is up three to nothing. It really, that, that gets rid of my Monday night football preview show prediction, which was that <laughs> Dallas would win two to nothing. Yeah. 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 Because the football gods, uh, I, I knew that was unders. a risk yeah. when you said it. Uh, I mean, Parsons, if it MVP. came true though. Yeah. I would think about the money I make Genius. on that. You know, there, there we go. I would look, I would look like the most brilliant person in the world. Uh, we'll keep you updated on both, but Sarah, there's also some big news to update everybody on across the NFL. Not the least of which is that Shefty is reporting New England Patriots quarterback, Mac Jones will likely miss multiple games with a severe high ankle sprain. Now, it's important to note here, they're still trying to figure out the strategy. Some have already said that, that this would require surgery for many players. Mac Jones trying to avoid that surgery, likely because it would mean even longer being out. But now when you've got a quarterback that you're trying to figure out development with an offense that has been questionable so far, you might be looking at turning the reins over to Brian Hoyer, been with this team for a long time, knows this team very well. But let's face it, if you're the Patriots, you don't feel better about your chances to get to the playoffs with Hoyer in. Certainly not after this weekend, too. I mean, there were some really great plays from Mac. I really liked – obviously, we know he's got good legs and he can scramble, but – um you know, he had some good balls. He had some good runs. He's obviously still growing and learning, and he's a young quarterback, made some mistakes. There was that pick in the end zone. But um, I think you want him out there for as much as possible to get better, and you feel like the upside is much higher than it is with Brian Hoyer. Yeah, I mean, Hoyer is the guy that you always want because he's been there so long, mm -hmm. and he's started enough in this league that he can keep you afloat. But that's what when you've got a really good team – and a backup quarterback that can keep you afloat, you're fine. If you don't have a great team, that backup quarterback now suddenly is just going to lead to more mediocrity. And you know that there there were times that the Patriots kept that game close against the Ravens, but the Ravens are clearly a better team. A, a better team. And, and I, I saw a tweet from Orlovsky earlier that uh, the number one offense right now in the NFL is the Baltimore Ravens, and Lamar Jackson is accounting for 89% of their Oof. offense. Yeah. Like, that's a usage rate, right? Yeah, there. I mean, it, it actually reminds me of the situation we're watching right now on Monday Night Football is Cooper Rush does enough to not lose you a bunch of games, but doesn't have the same upside as Dak. Uh, there's news on Dak's injury, too. He told Lisa Salters he thinks he can return within a couple weeks, counting this as one of them, and isn't ruling anything out for week four versus Washington. Now, if you're the Cowboys and he's close and you watched any of that Commanders game yesterday, I think you're fine letting Cooper handle that one. 
Uh, I think I, I said at the break, um, there was a point during that game against the Eagles yesterday where the passing yards was 323 for the Eagles and minus one for the Commanders. So if Dak's pressing it to get back, I would say wait another week. But it's pretty incredible. I, I think I thought when they, when they didn't put him on IR and when Jared was telling us how quickly he might come back, it seemed a little bit of a stretch. But he seems like he's determined to come back from that thumb surgery a lot faster than, than you would predict. The, the commanders were a team, by the way, that I thought would be a little better, right? And now they've lost two in a row. They're being outscored so far this season by 19 points, which is by far the worst in their own division. Uh, they're not good. And we can pin part of that on Carson Wentz. I, I understand that. But I also have to look at it and say, how many teams will be forgiven for taking a flyer on Carson Wentz? At some mm-hmm. point, what you have is, and I, I think just because... It's Cutler again. Uh, you're, you're right. And, like, sometimes just because, I don't want to say that we don't like, but many people don't really care much for the Washington Commanders as an organization. So... It just feels like in that situation, we almost let them be invisible. And right. one and two, losing two straight games and losing them and looking ugly, uh, for most teams, Ron Rivera right now would be answering a lot of a lot of hard questions. Instead, all he's doing is deflecting a, a report that they were trying to acquire Jimmy G, which frankly would have made a lot of sense. Like going out there to try and get Jimmy G before mm-hmm. you got Carson Wentz would have been smart. Yeah, I, I mean, he's also deflecting all the hatred for Dan Snyder and the questions around the name change. I mean, Ron Rivera is a human meat shield for so many of the issues there, um, and that includes, you know, lagging ticket sales. They had their first leak at the arena day one of the season in the first game. Um, and now, interestingly, as the conversation around Robert Sarver reinvigorated people to talk about the differences between the NBA and the NFL – there are rumors that the NFL owners are reconsidering what has been their position on Dan Snyder, which is we just don't want people digging around in our house, so we're going to let them keep getting away with it. It does feel like there might be, and I don't want to get our hopes up, there might actually be some momentum to holding him accountable and and demanding that he sell the team. I'll be honest. like In the process of just thinking about games so much and thinking about what's going on in the NFL there's such a distraction, and this is what the NFL banks on, right? Of course. For people like me that are mega fans of, of everything that happens in the NFL, I become such a kid on Christmas Eve that's just like, oh, my God, I'm making it a pony, that I, <laughs> I, I stop thinking about all of the other uh, important conversations at times to a fault. And until you just said that, I hadn't really thought, honestly, about the fact that the Sarver situation is it was handled so much more swiftly for a couple of reasons. One, the league took just enough of a stance on it to leave the door open for the players to come up and take an even bigger stance. We've talked about how that's really unfair to the players themselves, but it got action done. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we don't know, and I'm not going to speculate, but it certainly seems easy for the NBA to have called some of the players and say, hey, there's nothing we We can can do do about it. And I know that it's much tougher to do that in an NBA or an NFL world. We see that every time the the unions try and speak, right? It's Mm -hmm. tough to get NFL players on one page. But you're right, the 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 standard uh, that is the standard is far lower for the NFL. And they bank on people, like, I'm just being transparent, yeah. y'all, like, they're banking on me. Unfortunately for the commanders, they aren't going to win very many games, and they are so bad that it will only engage people further with wanting to get rid of the guy at the helm of this terrible run, more, more so than it will distract them. <laughs> um, and it was the Washington Post and Liz Clark, who we've had on the show, among the writers who, who put up the recent piece, 
where they actually had discussions with owners who said in recent days that they believe serious consideration may be given to attempting to oust him from the ownership ranks by convincing him to sell or by voting to remove him. They all spoke in anonymity, so we don't know for sure, but fingers crossed there might be some some movement there. Uh, You want to hear my two fun facts? Yes. Okay. This is from the Lions-Vikings game. Red Zone watchers will will know this, but I was surprised to hear there were two of the longest active streaks in the NFL in that game. Kirk Cousins has 33 straight games with a touchdown pass. Good God. The longest streak of any quarterback in the NFL. And then the Lions, at least as of the second quarter, I needed to follow up with this, but they had 17 straight quarters with a touchdown. The Lions which was also the longest active streak. By the way, the Lions, while they did not, uh, they didn't get the outcome they wanted. The Lions have covered every single game so far this season too. So look at them plucky lot. Plucky's my word of the day. Look at them plucky lines. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at seven Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.